What's up, guys? Our Wrestling Podcast back at you with another episode. This is Dave Vicious along with Jess the Total Package, Craig the British Bulldog, and Cuz is off this week. I heard there was oh. so <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. And he is not bringing you our perspective on the world of professional oh. wrestling. No inside sources, no ties to the industry, just stories from the diehards sharing opinions with you. Can someone feed me today's topic? Uh, Dave, we are going to do another installation because our first one was a fucking failure. The Whoa. What Happened To. It's the oh. What Happened To series. And the first one we did Alma Johnson and I hated it because of the person that's not on this podcast. Uh, and then uh, now we're going to do... <laughs> it was just a... Just don't watch it. Don't ever go back and watch it on our archives. Ever, ever. Uh, now I'm going to try it again. It's What Happened To Mark Marrow. What I, when Jess put this out there, I got really excited because I think Mark Marrow is such a such a gym, and he did come and go, and there's there's some controversy behind it, and I think it's a really good topic for us. So I'm kind of excited for audio fans. Give us a listen on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Shooter, and Google Podcast, or watch our videos on YouTube at our wrestling channel on social media. Give us a follow on Instagram or Twitter at OWP2019 or at Facebook at Our Wrestling podcast i'm being dead serious right now yeah yeah. so like i'm not saying i'm the smartest wrestling fan i've just we've been you know we all have been watching for a long time i've been watching for a long time since 1987 and like i would like to think that i know a, a a good wrestler good performer whatever you want to say and there's a lot of people especially on the big podcasts like the bruce pritchards of the world and all that stuff where they continuously make jokes and mark marrow about his in-ring performance and stuff and i'm like what like I, Mark Marrow was one of the most improved wrestlers from when you saw him from the beginning. And then, you know, when he left, he was very injury prone towards the end or whatever. And then he got kind of like overshadowed by Sable. But like Mark Marrow was actually a good wrestler. He wasn't bad. He kind of combined a hybrid style. He was a, kind of a high flyer for a, a decent sized guy. I don't know off the top of my head how tall he was, but he had to be like six foot, six foot one, two, maybe something like that. And like 200 and probably 25, 30 pounds legit. Like, I mean, real yeah. weight. I'm talking about inflated wrestling weight. And, like, so he would do flips over the top rope. He would do, like, flips over the top rope uh, from the apron into the ring at leg drop. And, like, he would do stuff off the top rope and shooting star presses off the top rope and everything. Like, man. That's not easy to do. Dude, like, he He was a trusted curtain jerker guy. Like, he would always be trusted with, like, one of the first two, three matches. As a matter of fact, I think, I believe Mero was one of my guilty pleasures that we did on a past episode. Because I just was like, I don't understand how people don't like him. Like, or don't at least... Don't at least think that he's a decent hand in there. Like, I don't, in some of the big, like the Jim Rosses and stuff, I'm pretty sure on Jim Ross and Bruce Pitcher podcast, they make little jabs like that, that he wasn't that good. And I'm like, what? Like, you guys are crazy. Like, you're silly. Well, we can, I, I, I don't know if we're going to get into it with the reading. Look at me fighting people that are in the industry. Yeah, you're, like, you're, you're, Jim Ross? You don't know, you don't know anything. Well, I, I, think, I think people take jabs at people when they take jabs at the industry. And Mark Murrow has certainly done his fair share of that. Um, trying try to talk about unionization and other items and uh, insurance for wrestlers. He's been out there. He's been very vocal about that for some years. And you can tell that people that are still in the industry don't like that. So I think that's part of the jab. Um, but I, I agree with you. You can't, you can't knock the, you can't knock the talent and the, not just his in ring ability, but like, like when, when he, when he went to work on the mic, he really went to work and he was pretty good. You know, he, we we never put him as a prelim, right? We it was never like like Craig said, he's opened up several papers. He was a solid mid-carder. 
Yeah. Light heavyweight champion. Johnny, why don't you sell us something about that pretty belt you're going to put around your waist? Oh, sir, let me tell you one thing about Flying Brian. After November 19th at the Clash, they're going to call him Crying Brian because he's going to be dying after I hit him with my two-day food. That belt is going to look so pretty around my waist because I am the bad. Uh, Mark Merrill was born in Buffalo, New York. His parents divorced when he was eight years old, with his mother supporting him and his two siblings by working two jobs. At the age of 12, Merrill began playing hockey, eventually becoming his league's most valuable player. In 1973, Merrill's family relocated to Liverpool, New York, where Merrill played for the Mid-State Youth Hockey League. At age 15, Merrill began playing for the Syracuse Stars junior hockey team. It's kind of a weird start when you think about it. But then he started playing football in his senior year at Liverpool High with his team winning the New York State Public High School Athletic Association title. That is a mouthful. Mm, that's the Mero, longest title ever. Right. Mero began training as a boxer under Golden Gloves coach Ray Rinaldi. Mero went on to win four New York State titles, including the New York Golden Gloves tournament. Mero intended to become a professional boxer, but his career was sidelined after his nose was broken in an accident. He briefly pursued a bodybuilding career, placing third in the Mr. New York State Bodybuilding Contest. That is a lot of moving around uh, to find your calling. Um, but yeah. I think we all do it, right? You know, at the end of the day. It's just a little bit different. I'm a bodybuilder right now. That's what I heard. Yeah. Do you go from <laughs> boxer to bodybuilder to to wrestler? And then, of course, to like, like everybody else, he... We worked at a gym where he met Tampa's Jay Parker or like one of those old guys that, yeah. that got him into the business. Mm -hmm. It always happens. Always how that the story way. goes. Yeah. Yeah. To, to your point, I'm sure they met him at a gym. But in 1990, uh, Mero decided to become a wrestler, traveling to Tampa, Florida to train under the Malinkos. He there debuted in 1991 in the Florida Suncoast professional wrestling promotion. Several months later, Mero would be used during WCW tapings as enhancement talent. He got into an altercation with Butch Reed who accused him of no-selling his finisher during a taping where Miro would, and a partner would lose to uh, Doom. Um, that's, there's got to be a good story behind that one. <laughs> there is. Very good. <laughs> yeah. In actuality, Miro thought he had to roll out of the ring quickly once taking the finisher, so the hard camera would only focus on the talent that won. Um, thanks to Sid Vicious, that dispute was cleared up. So He was yeah, just trying so, to get out of there. Yeah, he was a he was a, a enhancement talent, and he was brought into the WCW tapings in 1990. And him and a partner faced Doom. So he took Doom's finisher and he thought in his mind, and he I, he actually told the story on Steve, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast. I think recently, actually. Um, That's cool. Uh, yeah, and I'll put a clip here um, where he explained it. He was like, uh, you know, something to the effect of, maybe I'll put the clip after I botch the explanation. So that's probably the better place to put the clip. <laughs> um <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, he just basically said, like, I, I just rolled out of the ring because I thought, like, you know, it's a TV taping. So they're, like, mass editing, like, this stuff. It's, like, for syndicated television. So I took the finisher and I rolled outside the ring because I wanted to get out of the way of the hard camera so they can do their pose and they can point to the camera. And they're focusing on Doom. Wrong thing to do. Uh, Butch Reed took it as, like, you no-sold my finisher. Like, you took our finisher, you got pinned, you rolled right out of the ring. So I guess he went back to the back or whatever and... There was a separate locker room. There was enhancement talent locker room and then the stars. And he said it was typical for the big stars to be all in the enhancement talent locker room to thank them. Like, you know, hey, thanks. So, so, and that was kind of cool for me to hear because you never really heard of the big talent going into prelims or enhancement talent locker room going, hey, thanks for putting me over. Like, you wouldn't think that. But, like, yeah. that, I guess that was customary, you know, because they would hire these guys from local, you know, Florida Championship Wrestling or you know, not Florida Championship Wrestling, but like the Florida 
promotion, the Suncoast promotion training. So those guys would get, you know, hey, I'm going to go and get beat up, but I'm going to get ring time. So the pros would go in there and say, hey, man, thanks for basically being my crash dummy, like my crash test dummy. Sure, sure. So Butch Reed and, and Ron Simmons came in there and he thought, oh, they're going to, you know, say thanks or whatever. And he was going to thank them because he knew who they were and they were his big fans. And Butch Reed got pissed. You're trying to do, trying to make me look like shit. You're trying to make me look bad in there or whatever. And then you realize, oh my God, like, so he said, Sid heard it. Sid was thanking his prelim for thinking, thanks for letting me powerbomb you on your head. <laughs> oh, it was coming. Doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, I, and he heard it and, and I guess he went over and he kind of knew of Merrill and he just told Butch like, dude, hey, this guy's cool. He wasn't trying to do that to you. So then he looked at Merrill and he was like, next tapings, you're facing me. And so like, he was like, oh, like, you know, he took that in a good way. Like, that's cool. Cause Sid's going to show me like what I should do and, you know, talk to him. And Sid just said, yeah, he's insulted because, you know, you rolled out. He took that as an offense. Like you didn't want to sell his finisher. And Merrill's like, no, I thought I was doing him a favor by rolling out of the hard camera mm-hmm. so they could do whatever. So it was a whole misunderstanding. So I guess a little bit later, Dave, you're going to read on, but he got called and someone told him like, Hey, Dusty wants to see you. And Dusty was head booker in WCW mm-hmm. at this time. So he goes in there and he's like, oh, I'm going to get fired and shit or whatever. Wow. And he went in and he said, right away, he told Dusty, like, I just want to tell you, I'm really sorry for what happened at the tapings. I did not mean to disrespect Mr. Reed. Like, I just thought I wanted to roll all the way. He's like, huh? I don't know anything about that. <laughs> uh, like, and he told yeah. him like, you know, you look just like little Richard. Has anyone told you that? And he was like, not a soul has ever told me I look like a Richard. He was like, you look just like him. Or I think at first he said something to the effect of like, uh, I, I don't, I know no one's ever told me that little Richard, I've never heard of an athlete or something called it a Richard. He's like, no, the thing is the performer, little Richard. And he was like, no, no one's ever told me that. And he's like, <laughs> you look just like him. So like, that's when he just goes, I got a gimmick for you. It's going to be Johnny be bad. It's going to be like yeah. Johnny be good, but Johnny be bad. And you're going to be like kind of little Richard. You're going to be flamboyant. You're going to be super flamboyant where Boa's makeup whole thing. You're going to be heel. And we're going to put Teddy long with you and the whole thing. So you can read on. I can't, I can't it read started. it any better than what you just yeah. wrote. So, he was initially a villain, a villain, and managed by Teddy Long. Uh, he debuted at Super Bowl One in May of 1991. And then a funny story too that Mero told uh, about his dad. You know, his dad was a you know, huge supporter of him, and he called his dad. He's all back then. You know, you don't call. He's like, uh, I, his dad was like lived in Brooklyn, so he's just like, you don't call like a Brooklyn father and like say collect. He's all because back then you call collect and you have a voice going, hey. You, so-and-so, you have a phone call from Mark Camaro. Do you want to accept it? So he's like, my first thing was like, you're supposed to record your name. But instead it was like, dad, don't hang up. Like, because he knew his dad would hang up because it's like, oh, mm-hmm. like call, it's going to cost you money. So he called him and he's like, hey, uh, you know, I just wanted to call and tell you I got hired uh, by WCW. Because Dusty Rhodes basically gave him a contract in that conversation I just talked about. Sure. And he gave him this contract. And he's like, hey, go take it to your lawyer and just come back to me later or whatever. And he... And he said Dusty Rhodes was in a phone call. So Dusty Rhodes gave him the contract and continued his phone call. And he leaned in. He's like, Mr. Rhodes, Mr. Rhodes, uh, I, I don't even have a lawyer or like any kind of like representation or anything like that. Can I just sign it here? Because he saw in there it was going to be like 75 grand for the first year, 150 grand for the second year. And he was like, I'm a, I'm a millionaire. Like, that's what uh-huh. he thought. He's like, I made it, man. I fucking made it. Can I just sign it here? So he called his dad, collect to tell him that or whatever. And his dad's like, what are you calling me for? And he's like, oh, I made it. I just got hired by WCW. And he's like, for X amount of dollars. And he's like, oh, I knew you'd make it. I knew you'd make it. What are you going to be doing? And he's like, well, I'll be like this flamboyant Johnny B. Bad character. <laughs> so he said the first pay-per-view that he was on, which was Super Bowl One, his True. dad invited a bunch of his uh, cop buddies over. Oh, and they're no. all macho men. So, uh, you know, Johnny B. Bad was a golden glove boxer, right? So he's like, my son, the boxer, the real athlete or whatever. He gets out there and he's so pretty and he's got the bow on or whatever. And he's like, ow. And he said, the first thing that he said, he's like, I'm so pretty. I should have been born a little girl. That was the first line that he said. And he had to look back at his cop buddies or whatever. And he was just like, 
He gets paid a lot of money. What? Introducing first, the godfather of world championship wrestling, Theodore R. Long proudly presents from Bacon, Georgia, weighing 252 pounds, Johnny B. I butchered those stories up, but like, yeah, I just wow. thought it was super fucking funny. Like, and that's how he started. Like, Dusty Rhodes saw something in him. He's like, You look a little Richard. And he just gave him the gimmick, a gimmick of Johnny you gotta, B. Bad. You got to take what you get, bro, is what I would say. And you do. You really we, do. We've talked about this quite a bit before we started recording. And, I, and what I will say is that not only is Mark Miro super talented in the ring, but he took this one opportunity and he sold it. People love Johnny B. Bad. You can see people cheering for Johnny B. Bad every time he comes out. Craig talked about it earlier. He opened so many cards with the Johnny B. Bad gimmick. People loved it. I, I don't know who it was. We talk about it maybe a little bit later, but I think it was Joe or somebody you talked about. It just hated the fact that he'd come out first because I wrote. Some, I know I wrote. The, I wrote that here with his bad blaster gun. It's yeah, the bad blaster gun. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll get into it in a second. So, um, but yeah, after that short heel run. Uh, Bad was turned face. He was pushed heavily as a mid-carter and would open uh, often open house shows and pay-per-views to get the crowd motivated. This allowed him to really learn his skill and become a better performer. He would bring his bad blaster to the ring, a gun that shot confetti, <laughs> and use it to get the crowd into the match by shooting said confetti at them. But this is what I'm talking about. Somebody would be so mad all the time because the next we would uh, all be mad because we he all would, would yeah. yeah like the next matches there would always be wrestlers with confetti all over them for like yeah, yeah, the rest of the night. Yeah, yeah, all night. Right, fucking Johnny Bad. God, God, come on. Yeah, you know, if but, any wrestler got thrown outside the ring, they would get up and they'd confetti all over their back. Like, like even, to your they, point, like yeah, even four matches later, we would just look at each other and be like, "Fucking yeah. Johnny what Bad. the fuck? Clean yeah. up! Yeah. Can't you clean that shit up?" That's what I was gonna say. Is there no one out there with a, with a push broom that can't get that out of there? I'm just, yeah. what the what the hell is happening? Um, yeah. <clears throat> so like good old Bad Blaster in 1994, he won the WCW Television Title and continued to be featured. In the mid card, there guy had a lot of charisma, you know. He uh, he took the time to to really get himself in incredible shape. Guy was ripped. He was tanned. His gear was incredible. He spent a lot of money on his costuming. I mean, he did everything that you should do properly to present yourself as the is a package that anyone would want working for their company and. You know, and the guy worked hard, and he was learning the business. He he hadn't been in that long. Uh, back, you know, back in the day, you would always say it took you about four years to get the business, uh, and that's working 300 days a year, you know, to get the business down to where you could go out and have a match with anybody, or, you know, overcome any adversity, or, you know, if you, the old cliche was have a match with a broomstick. Right. Um, you know, the guy was, was good. There in 95, Mero would put, would be put into a storyline where he was accompanied to the ring by Kimberly Page, DDP's real wife, while feuding with DDP. WCW then wanted to have a love triangle with the three of them, but Mero did not like the angle and opted to leave the company. Was this because of his... I'm trying to remember, was he, was he with Sable at this time? Yeah, he was already, he was married to Sable here in WCW. Yeah. Uh, I think he just, he he didn't like it for he that. He didn't like that. Like, yeah. You know, and he, um, he just didn't like on. it. But uh he really matured as a wrestler. Like even in the early days of Nitro, uh watch anything that Johnny B. Bad was doing, like he was doing really well. And then he had this amazing match with uh Brian Pillman 
um, at a no fall brawl, excuse me, 1995. And it was like a 20 minute match. It was so good. And it just showed me how much, how good he was like, but he got, you think about it all of 94, he got to open pay-per-views with people like Steven Regal, Steve Austin. And there was so, wow. uh, there was a couple other people too, where I'm like, dude, he was just getting every Craig and I always joke, like every pay-per-view in like 93, 94 was like opening match, the opening contest coming down the aisle, Johnny B. Bang. And he's, here comes Johnny B. Bang. Yeah, he would just, here comes Johnny B. Bang. He got a down, like, left hook. But he owned that gimmick and he would start he doing really innovative moves. He did a lot of yeah. cool like flip moves over the top rope. He did like just so many cool things and nobody, everybody slept <clears> on him for some reason. So he left here and it was like, oh man, like. Johnny B. Bad was actually starting to wear on me after a while. Yeah. No, he grows on you, right? Yeah, it grows on you. Uh, He's as pretty as a pitcher. He looks just like little Richard. We're getting into <laughs> the WWF stage. Miro actually signed with the WWF in early 1996 with his real-life wife, Rena Miro, better known as Sable. He would be called the wild man, Mark Miro. He debuted what? in the WWF as a fan favorite at WrestleMania, I'm sorry, WrestleMania 12, excuse me, on March 31st, 1996, where he rescued his wife, Rena Sable Miro, from Hunter's Hearst Helmsley. Nobody knows who that guy is. Miro made his in-ring debut the following night on Monday Night Raw, where he defeated Isaac Yankum, DDS, better known as Kane. Kane. The Unabomber. Oh, no, it's not I think that was Sid. And that's when Miro and Sable would start to get paired together on television. Miro would lose in the semifinals to Steve Austin at the King of the Ring in 1996. Kind of a big moment there. Um, nobody knows about it. On September 6, 1996 episode of Raw, Miro participated in a tournament for the Intercontinental Championship, which was vacated by Ahmed Johnson. We were just talking about him, too. Due to injury, Mero defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin there, Owen Hart, and Farouk to win the title on September 23rd, 1996 episode of Raw. I saw a lot of pictures of Mero with the IC title here. It's kind of cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. and there's a picture <laughs> really of the tournament, and I didn't realize he beat Austin in the first round. I was like, oh. Oh, because yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, because I think Austin beat him for King of the Ring, so, like, mm -hmm. they just traded back. They traded didn't back. Mero lose any heat. Here goes Mero! Do something, Sonny! Taking his time. Oh, one, two, we got a new Intercontinental Champion, the Wild Man, Mark Merrill. And new World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion, Wild Man, Mark Merrill. Sonny, Sonny, he hit him with your first question. And it was kind of crazy. He was really the only champion. So funny. I think yeah. he took a bunch of pictures because he was like, I'm only going to be champion for like a month. He's like, where's, where's, the, where's the camera guy? Where's the camera guy? Uh -huh. I think there's even there like, was, there was a lot of pictures. If it's aunt, grandma, or mom holding the title with him. like It was the white It was the white back to IC title too. So like, yeah, yeah, it looked good. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he would only hold that title for a short time to just his point before losing it to Hunter Hearst Hemsley in October of 1996. Then we roll into February of 1987 where he tore his anterior cruciate, uh, cruciate ligament and spent it's the best effort. I, I that, that's a fancy word for ACL. And yeah. uh, it spent six months rehabilitating that 
While he was out, the WWF continued to use Sable on television, and she became increasingly popular with the fans. I think that is just an absolute understatement. Um, it was it was Sable TV. Uh, Dude, Sable, like, she just took over. Yeah. <clears throat> I, 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 we don't want to get too much into that because this is his stuff, not her stuff. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a completely different... Imagine sitting at home and watching Sable at that point, like, just she rise is, and rise, and then get riskier and edgier. And calling her like, What? <laughs> Did you do good today, honey? Did you do good on the job today? She's like, I feel yeah. good. Everyone loves me. Yeah, oh my That's goodness. good. Can you do a marrow salt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I moved my knee another degree. <laughs> I did squats with no weight today. Oh, good. Uh, anyway, I have to go. There's like 20,000 fans holding out. Yeah. Talk to you later. Uh, Mero returned to the WWF TV set on October 6th of 1997. Episode of Raw is War where he was repackaged as a boxer turned wrestler and got the new nickname Marvelous. He began uh, debuting a new finishing move, the TKO, to win his match against Miguel Perez Jr. Mero then began a slow turn as a villain after becoming jealous of the fans following Sable, uh, that, had, that the fans that uh, Sable had acquired in his absence and wanting her out of the WWF. Is there a little bit of more truth to that than we talk about, or... No, they were married here. Like, he was, I just think in general, I mean, if you think about it, no matter what a great guy he was, like, you're a pro wrestler. You've been working really hard. You got saddled with this bad gimmick. You've fought and fought and fought. You leave WCW, go to WWF. You finally make it. Yeah, you know what? I get to bring my wife on the road. That's awesome. They fall in love with your wife because there's so many stories from Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard told the story as well. When they brought Merrill in, to sign the contract, Vince always liked to bring their wives too to show them, hey, we're gonna take care of your husband, we're gonna make everything great. And like when they left the meeting, like uh, uh, Vince turned to Bruce and goes, "Did you see what I just saw?" And then Bruce is like, "What?" And he, he's like, "Sable's a star. She's amazing." And like so, already they knew right then when Meryl signed that, like, "Oh, his wife Sable, she's fucking something." And so like, they already knew then that they were going to try to, then they started coaxing her to the ring. She actually started by accompanying Triple H to the ring or Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And then that's when Meryl's like, don't you treat the women like crap. I love women. And like, and so he pulled her over and that's why they started to accompany each other to the ring. And that was Vince's way of getting Sable used to being on TV. And then Vince started talking to her and, hey, you're really getting popular. Let's use you more. Let's do this. Let's do that. And then she would start accompanying Sonny out there and they'd be using her and Sonny that's like the top two women of the promotion. And then people just started. I remember just first seeing Sable going. She was so like beautiful. And she was just so like different. You know, you weren't used to seeing that kind of woman in wrestling. I mean, you had a little bit from Elizabeth. Sunny was really hot. But at the same time, like, you know, it was just Sunny. And then you had Sable who looked just like super exotic. And she had like a different face about her in a great way. And like, she just looked awesome. Like she looked amazing. And so people. What did were, Vince refer to her at? Like, a, you look like a wildcat. Yeah, you're a wildcat. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> so is that my nickname? No, I, if you want to be your nickname, sorry. Just get out, Mark. I don't know anymore. <laughs> Give him the Intercontinental title for a month. It's fine. Yeah, it's all good. As hey, 1998 same. began, Mero's obsession with Sable had continued, which led to a temporary alliance with Goldust and his valet, Luna Vachon, in which the three humiliated Sable during matches, but it turned into a short feud when Goldust became physical with Sable. <clears throat> Ouch. At WrestleMania 14, Mero and Sable defeated Goldust and Luna in a mixed tag team match. The storyline was resolved in a match between Mero and Sable at Over the Edge, in which Mero feigned remorse, offering to lie down and allow her to pin him. 
before defeating Sable with an inside cradle. I, I do remember that, which resulted in her leaving the WWF for a short time, and Miro had completed his villainous turn. After he dropped Sable as his valet, Jacqueline became his manager. At that time, Miro's last appearance in the WWF television space was, was the in the United States uh, was on November 30th of 1998 episode of Raw is War, where he faced light heavyweight champion Dwayne Gill. He promised to wow. retire if he did not win the match. Gill won the match with the help of the J.O.B. squad. Um, in 1999, both Miro and Sable had left the WWF. At the time, Miro had three years remaining on his contract with a guaranteed salary of $350,000. Miro sub subsequently did not wrestle for 18 months due to various nagging injuries. Uh, and a soldier, a shoulder surgery, excuse me. Uh, Mero had then retired from in-ring competition in 2006, opening and operating the Mark Mero Body Slam Training Institute at Altamonte Springs in Florida. Um, seems like just gone too fast. Yeah, you know, and that's why I wanted to do it too. Like, what happened to Mark Mero? Because it's true, like, Sable just eclipsed him. And I don't mean that as a disparaging, like, remark towards Mark, because I, I really do think he was a good worker in there. And I think he did a lot of innovative stuff. And he really tried to, especially just getting that Johnny B. Bad character over, was really yeah. great on his part. And uh, he just never fit in. Like, he never, the wild man. And I did like his heel character where he was marvelous, Mark Merrill, and he was jealous of Sable. He'd always be like, Sable, can you do a moon salt or uh, a Merrill salt? No. Salt. He would put Merrill in front of every move that he did, a Merrill salt, a Merrill plex or whatever. Yeah. And so he'd be like, can you do a Merrill plex? No. Can you do a Merrill salt? No. And it was really funny. Like, what do you do when you literally are watching your wife get into your profession and then out yeah. of nowhere she starts eclipsing you? I mean, you just kind of go with the ride, right? Like, so I do. I really think that a lot of people confuse. Dave said it at the beginning that people think that was real life. Merrill supported her. I'm almost positive in the whole thing. But you got to think as like somebody who comes in. If he was that like, good at it, he made you. He made you. Yeah, you know what I mean. Real. Like you, you, it's your profession. Anyone listening to this podcast, if your husband or wife all of a sudden jumped into whatever profession you do for a living, and in like two months they like eclipse you, you'd be like, uh, oh wow, oh good job, honey. Like I've been yeah. doing this for I've been doing this for twenty years. Or yeah, is that it, the phone? Is that Vince? Is that for me? Oh no, is it's for you. Oh, the sure it's not. Yeah, right. Okay. Like they're at home or whatever. She's yeah. like, oh, Vince is on the phone, no problem. And she's like, it's for me. Tell me right it's, there. It's for me, yeah. baby. It's for me. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Oh. Oh. It's like it's like the Incredibles too, where they're like, oh, we should just use Elastigirl. Oh. Did you take my mascara? But I'm Mister. <laughs> but I'm Mister. Incredible though. I'm Mister. Incredible. Um. Yeah. But yeah, he was guy. He was great. Like Mark Merrill, Merrill was great. Like he was really good at everything he was asked to do. And then he got a little injury prone towards the end. But I mean, some yeah. people get that way. He was a good athlete for sure. Still put sixteen years in the business. Can't really yeah argue about that. Yeah. We'll delve into his personal life here briefly. I hope he doesn't mind. Mark and Rena Merrill actually separated in mid two thousand three. Uh, they divorced amicably in two thousand four. Mark had uh, married for the second time in 2009 to Darlene Zizbizi, and they actually divorced in 2019. Uh, just can't seem to find the love of life. What's that word you said, amicably? Did I say that? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's Did I say it okay? Fun. It's a fun word. Go on. <laughs> okay. It's a fun word. <laughs> okay. Mark Merrow's book, How to Be the Happiest Person on the Planet, was released on December 6th of 2010, uh, June and July of 2007, Miro commented on the Crispin Wild murder-suicide, appearing on numerous cable news programs, criticizing both the wrestling industry and the world wrestling entertainment piece. Um, this is what I was talking about at the beginning. People want to give Mark Miro a hard time 
because he took a hard stance um, after the Chris Benoit situation. And not to mention several wrestlers had died years and years before due to substance abuse and other items. And he's reaching out saying they have no help. They're based as independent contractors. Um, it's it's just, it's a lot of stuff and they're, they're just not taken care of, you know? So, uh, but they're still expected to be big and make dates. And if you're hurt, it's your problem. Go see a doctor and pay for it on your own. Um, he felt that wrestlers should have um, insurance and wrestlers should have, you know, kind of paid for, but also they should have representation and they should have yeah. unions. And a lot of the active wrestlers really push back on that. Um, you were talking about somewhere in these comments about um, Fit Finley um, was another big example. I saw them side by side. I want to say on the CNN segment, and Fit Finley tried to tear him apart and make him look really stupid. Because yeah, I wrote about I wrote about down here too. Yeah, the WWE product, right? So yeah. we'll get into that. But in an interview with WFTV, Mero admitted to using both anabolic steroids and recreational drugs over a period of seven years and claimed that steroids had contributed to the early deaths of many wrestlers. In interviews, Miro produced a list of 25, which was later expanded to 31 wrestlers with whom he had wrestled and who had since died, calling for the greater regulation of the wrestling industry. That's what we're talking about. Substance abuse help, um, insurance for these guys, uh, something other than independent contracting work. Both of you, let's start with Mark. What would you like to have seen the feds do with the information? Would you have liked them to bust your friend? Well, with all due respect to Chris Benoit's mother, who I can't imagine what she's going through right now, this tragedy is just horrific. But, you know, to say that this could have been avoided, uh, even if they did bust Chris Benoit, he's got the money to bail himself out of jail, and who knows what state of mind he would have been in after that happened. You know, this is, it's just speculation, but let's look at the real problem here. Let's look at what really killed many of these wrestlers, and that is the sport of professional wrestling, of what these guys have to put their bodies through, put their minds through, put their families through. That is what killed Chris Benoit and the Benoit family. Well, Mark, let me jump in here. Merrill's comments attracted criticism from WWE employees, such as Mr. Kennedy, who had labeled him as a goof and a silly bastard. I think that's funny because Mr. Kennedy made one mistake and he was out on his ass too. And we're right. all big yeah. Kennedy How fans. How loyal was WWE to Mr. Kennedy, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that, I can go off on it. What happened he, to Mr. He Kennedy? He botched a couple moves on Triple H and, and Randy Orton, which you don't do, and then he gets fucking labeled as like unsafe and gets fired, basically. Yeah, he's so one of the... How do you, yeah. how do you feel now, uh, uh, Mr. Kennedy? Yeah, Mr. Kennedy. Well, by the way, we should do a What Happened to Mr. Kennedy episode, but that's... that's oh, that's for the, very good. Very, I agree with you, 100%. Kennedy. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's yeah, still working. Yeah. Still working. Um, uh, NWA. And then, yeah, Dave Fit Finley, who claimed Merrow had nothing to do with this business, which is like, what? What, what are you saying? On July 15th of 2007, Merrow attended the memorials of Nancy and Daniel Benoit in Daytona Beach, Florida. Following his comments... Mero began making appearances at schools in Central Florida and lecturing on the dangers of drug abuse and bullying. He also promotes a similar interest website of which he is affiliated. As of April 2nd, 2009, he has had many appearances in schools and community colleges across Florida and remains a public speaker of positivity to this day. Um, it, it is, it is a, it's, while it's a short story, it's a novella at best. It's, it's a good story. Like it's, yeah, and he definitely. I feel like he's definitely trying to do what's right, and I think he definitely supported people while he played that jealous card on TV. He supported. He supported Sable all the way through, like Jess had said. And yeah, um, I just, like I said, what happened to Johnny B. Bad, bro? And this is it. This is this is where it went. It, 
and he's still on on Twitter. He's still doing schools and uh, doing assemblies and doing outreach for kids and and talking to everybody and Champions of Choice. I think is like or his organization. He does with pandemic. He's done virtual kind of uh, assemblies and things with kids, but. He's walked the walk and he's done that since I guess I didn't know he'd done it for that long. But he continues to do so. And I think he 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 believes what he what he says. And I think even though he was lambasted for it back in 2007 and then he was he was not wrong about any of these things. So, um, no, you know, it probably, it, it's so it's so crazy, yeah. like the way like the wrestling community will rile against you. Like if you try to branch out, I guarantee you when he was in the sport, people were like, yeah, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. And then the second he gets out on his own, he starts going, you know what? Like it was such a, it was such a huge undertaking when Chris Benoit passed. I mean, the wrestling industry went into turmoil because like the mainstream media was all over them about drug use and steroids and everything, even more so than the trial. And it just, it just got so hot. For Vince and company, and WWE yeah. was the only show left in town. So you know anybody that well, lashes out against Vince, there's at the a time, big difference Vince, between yeah. anabolic steroid use and fifty out of sixty wrestlers in the past two years dying um, that have worked for you at one time. Well, and, and can we agree dying. too that just because somebody comes out and says that wrestler should be supported, you know WWE because they are the biggest show in town, they immediately take it personal. They're like, what are you talking about? Me? Yeah. You're talking about us? It's like, well, I'm talking about wrestling in general. Well, you must be talking about us because we're only promotion. Yeah. Okay, fine. If you take it offense to that, then that means you're probably guilty of something. Like, didn't help yeah. these people. And they slowly I, have. I, I, have I have an idea. You know, if you do, as an actor, if you have so many, so much, what is it? What's the uh, term, oh, Craig, the, the term that I'm thinking of? You do so much work in a year, you're covered, right? What's every actor pays into it um yeah. oh yeah then like the sag after kind yeah. of yeah so the, thing, guild, yeah. Yeah, the so, guild so yeah yeah the guild so why why couldn't we have something of that nature and by the way you know you could have i mean if, if vince was smart you know i'd like to be smart he's not smart right now he why wouldn't he just start a fund like that to help wrestlers yeah there's even there's even funds with the nfl to help us to help uh nfl players with c with uh, cte and other items why don't you just put a fund together and shut this down? It's still being talked about. Yeah, and what better way to get attention from the company and the boss by defending the company and shitting on Mark Marrow and attacking him? Yeah, and any chance you, you got, got like, hey, you see me last night? I defended, anymore, right? Yeah, so, so it's yeah, he, he was a target for sure. Oh yeah, he's already gone. It's easy. There's there's no repercussion for Mark Marrow, and but he he was all over the um, the media piece because quite frankly, he knew what he was talking about. And he can he can state specific examples on his account. Well, and he, he humbled himself. This. He admitted it. He's like, yeah, I did steroids. I did recreational drugs. It's a bad recipe. Like, it's, it's yeah. something that's going to kill these guys. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, just a insane story. Um, any closing? Well, yeah. And that's why, you know, like, I know there's, like, I'm trying to define a difference between our legacies. And I'm not saying anybody who puts their life on the line or their health on the line for this sport is a... Uh, or this form of entertainment, whatever you want to call it, uh, doesn't deserve a legacy or whatever. But I mean, like, there are some wrestlers that are not, you know, we're doing a legacy of Stone Cold. Even Sid, you know, they wrestled for years, were on the top, won major world titles. And I'm not saying that Merrill wasn't important. You know, he won the TV title in WCW. He won uh, the Intercontinental Championship in WWE. And, uh, and you know, he was part of the original Sable storyline that got her launched, like, into the stratosphere. So Mark Merrill was important, but I mean, not long enough for a legacy per se, even though the work that he's doing outside of wrestling now is worth a legacy. And I'm not suggesting that 
So sure. I, I really, I really want to, I, I, more than Ahmed Johnson, Ahmed Johnson was kind of like, whatever happened to that guy? But this one, it's like, no, people remember Mark Merrill. It's an intriguing around, story. Yeah, Mark Merrill was around in the Attitude Era and in the beginning of the Monday Night Wars. He was on Nitro for a little bit in 95 before he left. And then he went to WWF and then continued on after that into the whole, you know, 97, 98 Attitude Era kind of thing. So Merrill was important. He was around a lot. He improved the skill. I really admire him as a worker and a professional wrestler and uh, the work that he does now. I really do. And uh, so I think that that's, this is perfect. This topic more than the Ahmed Johnson one defines of whatever happened to because this should have been a lot the, of, this should have been the first. Yeah, one. there's a lot of people that we won't do <laughs> legacies on that have been around for 20 years, 30 years, won a few world titles, you know, uh, intercontinental sure. and everything. But Mark Merrill like should be talked about for sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Craig, uh, what do you think, Craig? Craigie Poo? Yeah, I think that he doesn't have the career to kind of warrant a, a big long legacy. I think it's these guys that were a part of kind of the big moments um, in those mid-card kind of roles that were around for longer than a cup of coffee, but you remember them, surely, that like, what did does beg the question, what happened to them? And I think this was a nice summation of Mark and giving respect um, and giving some kind of background into the other kind yeah. of controversies that kind of that he had. But he was a guy, I think, from the very beginning and leaving WCW because of a thing with Kimberly and a, and a Christian, but he was a Christian that also had no problem doing that effeminate Johnny B. Bad character and never really mentioned, mentioned it and um, had any issue with it. So, and he was always kind of on the, on the side of good, I think Mark Merrow and continues kind of that to this day with his work with kids. So I think that's, um, the, I think that's the biggest piece of it that warrants uh, what happened too is the, he took on, he took on the giant and I would argue that he kind of won a little bit, you know, the work is good. The micro is good. He had a 16 year career. He admitted to faults within himself, um, getting caught into the uh, the wrestling world and taking steroids and all those other items. And he went up against a machine and things have changed. And I think he was a part of that. I think people fail to see that. He, he definitely got crapped on through the whole process. And you can say, well, Benoit is the reason that everything changed. I think a lot of people say that, but a lot of people forget that Mark Merrill went around all the media outlets across the country for like a year and was spouting off on how this is not right. Now, did he get, did he get, um, you know, insurance for wrestlers and get them to be unionized? No, but did he get them to change what they did? I'd say, yeah, he's a part of that. They're the closest they've ever been at this point. Exactly. And then, and I think, you know, now it's up to other people of the world, maybe uh, dare I say the AEWs of the world to, to take downside guarantees to a whole other level and really protect these people if they get hurt. And take care of their families in a different way, which I'm not saying that Vince hasn't done that, but there's things you can put in writing. You don't have to go, oh, Vince, like, let me do you a favor. Like when Eddie Guerrero died, it wasn't like they took care of the family. He had Vicky take over that contract, right? And we'll take care of you that way. This this is different. This is like, no, in writing, if something happens to you, you're good. And you know you're good in case you die, in case you, you get to a point where yeah. you can't you can't walk anymore. Because that can happen in this industry. And that's what Miro was looking for. He didn't get it. But like, to your point, I think he got them closer than they ever have been. Not just him. It was a, a myriad of things, but he was definitely a big part of it. Right? Yeah. So. All right. For audio fans, give us a listen on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Shooter, and Google Podcast. Or watch our videos on YouTube at Our Wrestling Channel. On social media, give us a follow on Instagram or Twitter at OWP2019. Or at Facebook at Our Wrestling Podcast. This is Dave, Jess, and Craig, and no cuz. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> With the OWP signing off, 
Have a good one.